Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. I'm Michelle Martin. Asia Pacific markets are trading lower this morning following a mixed session on Wall Street overnight. Seoul is down two thirds of a percent. Tokyo and Sydney are in the red as well. Investors will be looking to Beijing today for the latest data on factory activity. Analysts are expecting it to register better than Japan, where industrial production dropped more than seven percent in May. Joining me now as we break down all the market action is Shane Oliver, joining us live from Sydney, where he. Is the chief economist and head of investment strategy at AMP Capital. Good morning, Shane. Good morning, Michelle. Hope you're well. Very well. Thank you for being here. Now, investors closed the books on the first half of the year today, and I dare say that for many today couldn't come soon enough. It's been a tough six months for U.S. markets in particular. The Nasdaq set to record its worst first half year on record. The S&P 500 down 20% since January, the worst start since 1970. So let's close the books on January to June and look ahead. Shane, I'd like to pick your brain on what the second half of 2022. Could have in store for us. I've seen a few scenarios, but generally speaking, it seems analysts believe the markets will be higher on December thirty-first than they are today. What do you think? Are we finally due for a rally? <laughs> I think uh, it's going to be a story of two halves. To be honest with you, uh, yes, I think we will probably be higher into year end, um, but it is noteworthy that. The September quarter, particularly the period after September October, is often rough for share markets.、Uh, we also yet to resolve all these issues around inflation,、uh, central bank monetary tightening, and recession risks. So whether we have a recession or not, I think markets will be、uh, fairly twitchy、um, over the next little while, given the uncertainty around that. And we've got more to go, of course, on monetary tightening. So, all, and of course, in the background, we've got the ongoing war in Ukraine, which could spill over there economically or in a military context. So, all of these things, I, I think, suggest we're probably going to see more downside in the short term, probably out to a low somewhere around September, October. I think by then, markets will. Hopefully, affected in the worst, and then we should start to see a rally into year end,、uh, possibly helped because、uh, inflationary pressures will start to slow down, particularly in the U.S., taking pressure off the Fed, and hopefully removing or reducing the risk of recession. Market Watch has some interesting analysis. If you look at history, they say and times when the S and P 500 had a first half fall of 15 percent or more, the market experienced an average jump of more than 20 percent in the second half of the year. And we'd certainly like to see a bullish case like that now, but the sample size for that survey is still quite small. So, if we take a step back, Shane,、uh, what could be the main narrative for global markets over the next six months? Do you think? Look, to be honest with you, I think it's going to be something similar to what we've seen lately. Obviously, there's inflation issues continuing to be the big one, and of course, the war in Ukraine feeds into that. But I think the narrative at some point in the next six months will shift a bit more positive. We will clearly get to some sort of peak in inflation, and as the inflationary pressures come off, partly because supply will improve, but partly also because demand will be weaker. Then that will start to take some of the pressure off central banks, and once markets can see that, then they'll start to feel a lot more confident about things. So, the last six months have been about the inflation narrative getting worse, if you like. I think sometime in the next six months, that inflation narrative will start to get better, 
And so that, I think, will probably be the driving force for the next six months. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. in the very short term, the next three months, it could get worse and then mainly get better in the set in the, the latter part of the year. Got it. Let's dive deeper now, Shane, and look at some specific sectors and then markets in this part of the world. One sector that has outperformed, really it's surged since the beginning of the year, that's energy. One measure of this is the Energy Select Sector Index. It was up 66% as of June the 8th, but has plunged 22% since then. Could it be time to sell energy stocks, Shane? On a six-month horizon, I think it probably is. Uh, you know, oil prices have gone up or gone sky high along with uh, prices for gas and coal. Uh, but it's quite possible we've seen the, the worst there, uh, assuming, of course, something doesn't go horribly wrong or get horribly worse in Europe with the war in Ukraine. But it looks to me like we're getting towards the top or if we haven't already seen it in terms of the oil price. And I think that will start to work against energy at some point through the second half of the year. Probably I'd be less sure for the next three months, but on a six-month horizon, I think energy uh, will struggle. If we look at some specific stocks, ExxonMobil down 10% over the past month, but still up 44% since the beginning of the year. Shell and BP have charted similar paths. Now, the picture for tech stocks during the first half of the year has been quite different compared to energy counters. Some of the worst performers have been Netflix, PayPal and DocuSign, all of which are down 60% or more. Here in Singapore, DBS Group Research argues that the outlook for the sector remains bleak because of weak demand. What is your take on tech, Shane, as we look ahead to the rest of the year? I, I guess there's some conflicting forces there. Uh, in the short term, if I'm right and these interest rate inflation recession fears remain in play, there could be more downside. It was likely more downside for tech stocks. Uh, if the broader market comes down, then I think tech will go down further. Um, but at some point, if we do start to see a peak in inflation uh, and relief in terms of the sell-off in bonds, you know, bond yields start to sustainably come down, that could provide some support for tech because tech is what they call long duration. It's an asset that's highly speculative, the payoff in terms of earnings is over a long time and therefore it, it tends to be very sensitive to what bond yields do. And if bond yields start to come down mm. later in the year, then I think that will start to provide support for tech. So tech for me would be one of those ones that investors would look at pretty closely. I think we're getting close to a low there and we'll start to see some sort of rally into year end. It's just that we could go low, a bit lower in the, in the next three months before we, before we get to that bottom. And given your scenario, Shane, which sectors or sector do you see best opportunities for in the second half of the year then? Uh, you mean in tech or energy or the, the broader sectors? The broader generally? sectors, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's it's probably going to be cyclical. I mean, the place to be so far this year has mainly been defensives, utilities, consumer staples and so on, healthcare. I think through the second half, they'll probably, at some point, you know, once the markets make a bottom, those sectors will start to lose their outperformance and we'll start to see some outperformance by the more cyclical parts of the markets uh, later in the year and that'll probably be tech, consumer discretionary and I think materials will start to do better as well. Let's bring the focus to Asia now. Chinese President Xi Jinping is set to travel outside of mainland China for the first time since the pandemic began. He hasn't left the country in nearly 900 days and officially he's still not leaving it. 
but he is set to cross the border to Hong Kong to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the city's return to China. Beijing, meanwhile, is loosening up travel restrictions. There's a shorter COVID-19 quarantine period now, though it still remains among the strictest in the world. And C is warning that the country is against loosening up too much. She says China cannot rely on herd immunity and needs to maintain its COVID-0 focus. Shane, China markets are doing better than the U.S. this year. But with a COVID-0 policy, it really only takes one case to force a lockdown again in China. So what is your take on China markets going forward? Look, I think there's more upside there. Uh, the Chinese share market or the Chinese economy generally has been leading the world in a way. It was the first to recover from the pandemic. It was the first to announce uh, policy tightening. Uh, that meant that its share market topped out in April, February, February, early last year. Anyway, I think it might have been February last year, mm-hmm. and has had, had a, a massive fall, you know, about 35% decline, which took their price-to-earnings multiples down into single digits. Uh, whereas other markets kept going for a lot longer, as did, uh, and it took longer for other countries to start policy tightening. So therefore, China has led the way here a little bit, and then as it comes out of these lockdowns. And as the economy starts to recover again, that should help the Chinese, Chinese share market over the next six months. But you are right there. You know, it only takes a handful of cases to have another lockdown. We know that Omicron is highly contagious. It continues to, uh, even right now as we speak, we're seeing a new rising trend in Singapore and Australia and other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully remains less harmful as Omicron was the first time around. This is, I think, the BA4 and BA5 variants. But... Other countries outside China have the benefit of mRNA vaccines, whereas China doesn't have that. So that's, I think, largely what she is, is worried about. Right. So that's obviously a bit of a risk. The other factor, which I think will limit the upside in the Chinese share market, so don't get me wrong, I think it will have a continued recovery as their economy picks up and the reopening hopefully continues. But I think it will be limited because of the, the zero COVID policy remains in place, so that's a source of uncertainty. Regulatory risk is, is now higher in China than it used to be several years ago, with the government taking a more interventionist approach to companies and industries. And finally, geopolitical risk is said to be much higher in China with either a change in the West or a change in China threatening companies' investments into China and obviously shareholder investments potentially as well. So all of those things, I think, mean a bit of a risk premium around Chinese shares that wasn't there in the past, which will limit the extent of this rally, even though I think it will go higher. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Australia. You're joining us from Sydney, where the ASX 200 is in correction territory, down 10% since the beginning of the year. Shane, is this a good time to buy into Aussie markets? I think Australia is, uh, it's been a relative outperformer. It hasn't come down as much as the US market. You mentioned 20% or so decline in the US market uh, so far this year. Australia has come down half as much. I guess if you go back to the high in August last year, it's come down a bit more, but still we've been a relative outperformer, reflecting the fact that we don't have many tech stocks, not the same exposure to them, and also resources exposure is relatively high in the Australian market. It's been a relative outperformer. I think directionally it faces the same risk as global markets, potentially more downside in the next three months, but then a rally into year end. But in a bigger picture sense, I think we have come into a new super cycle in commodity prices. Mm. We had a long-term downtrend in commodity prices through much of last decade as the, the commodity boom of the 2000s came to an end. Now we've seen a lack of investment in commodities, particularly metals, 
Uh, we're seeing decarbonisation, which means more demand for things like copper and nickel, and we're seeing an increase in defence spending globally, which also means more demand for metals and energy and things. So I think we've entered a commodity super cycle, which will benefit resource stocks and by definition will benefit the Australian share market in a relative sense over the next few years. If we look at other Asian markets, Seoul is having a rough time, down nearly 30% over the past year. Tokyo in the red, but doing better than both Seoul and the US. The Nikkei is off 7% since January. From where you sit, Shane, do you see any gems or good bargains in other Asian markets? Well, Seoul, South Korea... Now, the, the index there is called Kospi, and some people used to refer to uh, the Kospi as Dr. Kospi because it's a growth-sensitive share market, much like the copper prices. It was referred to as Dr. Copper. And when you see copper and Kospi going down, it can mm. be a bad sign. And, of course, we've seen that lately, so that does uh, give one pause for thought. Um, but by the same token, I think that huge fall in uh, Korea is a sign of potential value, so that's certainly an area worth looking at. And I think also in the next six months, you'd be on the lookout for markets in the rest of Asia because as global growth hopefully bottoms, or may not bottom, but as share markets sort of move beyond the recession risk to start to focus on potential recovery and growth, mm-hmm. that will benefit Asian markets. But I'd say particularly Korea, maybe Taiwan, but there's a bit of geopolitical risk there, as we all know, regarding Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Singaporean share market and Malaysia and Indonesia would be the ones I would be looking at. Yeah, speaking of the Singapore stock market, we've been trading in a range between 3,000 and 3,500 since recovering from our 2020 pandemic lows. Uh, for the year to date, the Straits Times Index is basically flat. It's given back all of its early year gains. What is your take on Singapore stocks going forward? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, I mean, Singapore was very harsh like Australia was on uh, on COVID, mm-hmm. but it had a similar strategy, you know i.e. it would open when people get vaccinated, which I think was the right strategy. Of course, I'm coming from Australia, you're coming from Singapore, but I think ultimately our country has played it the right way. And that, I think, sets up Singapore reasonably well. It would have been doing a lot better than it currently is. It hasn't come down as much as many markets around the world, but it would have been doing a lot better if the global recovery had continued. We didn't have these recession risks. But I think as we get to the end of the year and, and share markets globally move on from worries about recession, hopefully to worries about an eventual strengthening in economic growth as central banks take the foot off the brake, then that should help the Singapore share market. But in the next three months, there's still an degree of vulnerability there simply because there is in global shares as well. Before we wrap up, Bloomberg has published its latest list of what it calls a COVID resilience ranking. It tracks the best and the worst places to be in the world as COVID enters its next phase. Australia comes in at number nine. Singapore has dropped two places to 14. South Korea, the UAE and Ireland rank as the best places to be in Bloomberg's COVID resilience ranking, which tracks vaccination rates and lockdowns and restrictions, flight capacity, among other metrics. China, Taiwan, Russia, they came in last in the rankings. Do you see any surprises here in terms of, you know, where people, where you'd rather be, perhaps? Are you ready to move to (laughs) South Korea or Ireland, Shane? I, I, I mean, a lot of this is, is partly judgmental and it partly depends on your view on lockdowns. Mm. I think that the lockdowns that, say, Australia and Singapore had were sensible lockdowns and minimised the number of deaths. And I've got people who are older than me and, you know, my mother included, and I'd rather her staying alive. So I'm not 
you know, if, if more lockdowns are announced to save lives, then I'd be supportive of that, and I wouldn't see that as a negative. So I'd, I'm a little bit surprised that Australia and Singapore aren't ranked a little bit higher than what they've got in their rankings. But I think all countries are at a little bit of risk here if we don't keep up the vaccination pace. But on that basis, I'd probably say Singapore probably does rank ahead of Australia because we've seen our booster rates top out at around 55% of the population, whereas well, the evidence suggests that to prevent illness from Omicron, you really need to uh, get a booster shot and maybe another one after that as well, uh, whereas Australia has been lagging a little bit on that. But it's, yeah, I think this is in the eye of the beholder. Some people would say, well, mm. Sweden would have been the best place to go because it didn't have much of a lockdown at all. But, you know, you wouldn't have thought that if uh, you happened to die along the way. So it's it's really a bit of a judgment call as to which, what's, the best, what's the best place to be if we see another lockdown. Touch wood, hopefully we won't. <laughs> hopefully not. Well, thank you so much for your insights, Shane, and thank you for being with us this morning. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Shane Oliver, joining us live from Sydney. He's the Chief Economist and Head of Investment Strategy at AMP Capital. I'm Michelle Martin. You're listening to Market View. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.